Hello and welcome to the PLUS podcast, which this time comes to you directly from the British Mathematical Colloquium at Queen Mary University of London. The first speaker at this pure mathematics conference was the French mathematician and fields medalist Cédric Villani, who talked about dynamical systems, from our own solar system, which consists of eight planets orbiting a sun, to a system formed by millions and millions of randomly moving atoms that make up a gas. And after his very interesting lecture, I caught up with him at a very, very noisy reception for a chat. Okay, so I'm here now with Cedric Villani, who just gave a very interesting lecture about the long-term behavior of dynamical systems. So a dynamical system, for example, could be our solar system. Now, why would you be interested in the long-term behavior of a dynamical system? Because most people would say, well, you're more interested in the detail and in what happens next. Yes, but uh, you know, life is so complicated. Uh, usually, it's impossible to get a good and quick description of what is going on at some reasonable time scale. But if you find information about the long time, you can hope to find some universal behavior, something interesting that is simple and still relevant for the discussion. So, for example, one of those features might be whether the system is stable over the long term. And there's uh, some, that's, that's quite interesting even considering our own solar system because over, over time throughout history there's been some debate about whether it's actually stable or, or whether it's going to be unpredictable. Yes, it's a fascinating story, this uh, stability of the solar system problem, which starts with uh, Newton and continues to this day. And over the course of these few centuries, we have seen that the uh, opinion of the um, scientists has switched from one side to the other about the stability issue. It has been influenced also by technological developments when computers were available. It has also led to the development of perturbative methods, of kolmogorov arnold moser theory, of ergodic theory. So it's a fascinating subject. And what do people think now, at this moment in time? Is, the, uh, is our solar system going to remain stable for all time, or is it going to change at some point? Currently, people think that it is impossible to know for sure and that there are deep reasons for the unpredictability after a time period of about 60 million years. And they also think that there is a small but not tiny probability that a major catastrophe occurs before the end of the solar system, something like a collision between planets in a few billion years. So the solar system becoming unstable would mean basically the planets leaving their orbits or moving around more erratically? It could be one planet leaving the system or it could be two planets colliding, for instance. Some of the leading experts of the subject now are claiming with good arguments that there is a possibility that two planets of the solar system would collide within a few billion years. Now, that's just our solar system, which has a small number of bodies within it. Now, what's also very interesting is that uh, once you move to a very, very, very large number of particles or of units within a system, then things become, in a sense, easier. Right? So, so what's that about? Yes, when you move to many, many particles, things become more complicated in some respects and more simple in some other respects. And in particular, uh, there is this idea that 
many objects, when you have many, many objects, it becomes more difficult to make individual predictions, but more simple to make statistical descriptions. So the trajectory of one molecule in a gas will be totally unpredictable, but the statistical properties of the gas will become definitely predictable. This is why statistical mechanics has uh, developed uh, uh, tremendously the study of uh, large time behavior of many body classical systems. Because you can actually make statements about the bulk statistical behavior of, of a system of very many particles. And you said uh, during your lecture that uh, uh, a condition for, for being able to make these um, statements is uh, chaos at the basically mole molecular level. So you need there to be absolutely random and unpredictable behavior at the molecular level in order to make these large-scale predictions. Yes, it is one of the classical paradoxes of statistics, which is very important also in many daily life applications, that the more you have unpredictability here, and chaos at the molecular level, the better it is for the prediction at the macroscopic level. An instance where, for instance, this is false is when you look at the global world economy, in which all the agents, there are many, many agents, but the banks are all connected, so there is not, uh, you don't have chaos in the sense of uncorrelation between agents. On the contrary, on the gas, if you take two particles, they hardly know each other. And if they know each other at some point, because they have just collided, for instance, the collisions with the other particles will soon destroy this information. So this is one example in which you have this molecular chaos, and as a consequence, you will be able to predict the behavior. At least this is the picture that everybody now agrees. Still lacks proper mathematical justification in the generality that we would like to have. Yeah. Because it was very interesting you said that Boltzmann's equation, I think, it was not actually derived from first from, from Newton's equation until 1973. So it's a long time after Boltzmann came up with it in the end of the 19th century. So. Yes, it is more than 100 years after their writing that these equations were rigorously justified. And before that there was a debate whether it was at all possible to put them on rigorous footing. This remarkable achievement is due to Oscar Landford. And it is remarkable not only because it shows how a macroscopic equation can emerge from statistics and many body equations, but also that you can reconcile the irreversibility that we all feel because time always goes and we are aging and so on, with the reversibility at, uh, of the microscopic laws. What Vilani is talking about here is something that at first sight appears like a paradox. When you look at the laws that govern the behavior of individual molecules in a gas, for example, these laws are reversible. They don't have any preferred direction attached to them. So, for example, if I show you a movie of two particles colliding, imagining them colliding as little billiard balls would, then I could play this movie backwards and you wouldn't be able to spot a difference. Yet, when you look at large-scale processes, there's always a preferred direction. You'll immediately spot if I play a normal movie backwards to you. And this is also indicated by the fact that we age rather than get younger, and by the fact that if you open a bottle that contains a gas, the gas will escape into the room, but a gas that is free in a room will never spontaneously collect in a bottle.
So we have a reversibility at a microscopic scale and an irreversibility at the macroscopic scale. And this is very, very closely related to the concept of entropy, which, loosely speaking, measures the amount of disorder in a system. I asked him to clarify this paradox further. Yeah, this is a tremendous uh, difference between the microscopic and the macroscopic and the relation. There is this idea that at uh, microscopic level you can reverse things, at least in a classical mechanics. And um, when you go to the macroscopic, the statistics description, the likely tendency is to go from the unlikely to the likely. So that entropy always increases more and more. We know this from experience. You see, if you take a bunch of uh, kids, let us take kids as models for molecular chaos because they are so agitated. So small kids at school, put them in a nice order in some big room, many, many kids, and then let them free to play. After some time, they will all be scattered in all parts of the, of the room and they will invade the whole thing. The same thing with particles. If you put particles in some corner of some box, soon they will invade the whole box, just because this is more likely. And in the view of Boltzmann, which is the dominant view now, this is because the tendency is to go to higher and higher entropy, to things that are more and more likely, to things that are more and more easy to realize because they correspond to many different possible reassignments of the microscopic particles. Okay. Now, last question. Um, the last time that we spoke to you was at the International Congress for Mathematicians in uh, 2010, it was, where you got your Fields Medal. And you said today in your lecture that ever since then, because that's obviously made you quite famous, you've been asked to give a lot of talks for more general audiences um, to explain your work. Is that something that you want to continue doing? For, for like, is, is that going to be an important part of your career from now on? Um, it, uh, I will continue to do this, but I will slow down because it's just impossible to work out. First, my first, let me make it clear that my research had been uh, has been kind of ruined during these past four years by these activities. I don't complain because it was really a fascinating uh, job and activity to do these uh, lectures, and also. I was. Uh, I had the opportunity to talk about mathematical research in the newspapers, in the radio, on the television. Some elements of this have been fun. Some others have been annoying. To just give you an idea, every day in France, people recognize me on the street, ask me for autographs on the train, and so on. So I could become a kind of public figure. Uh, besides the besides the uh, particular way of life that sometimes this has, I take it as a mark that there are really too few people doing this uh, job, so that all the pressure is concentrated on the few people who take this very seriously. Yes. And uh, I think we need all of us to spend a lot of time, much more time at least, explaining our stuff to audience. It does require training because you need to learn how to choose your words, how to state things which are false, rigorously speaking, but still enlightening for the broad audience. And you also need to show that these topics you are working on are not confined to your specialist area. 
but they are of interest to everybody to understand things, to participate in debates, whatever. So this has been a wonderful experience and I recommend this. Okay, so we can call we can take this as a call to mathematicians to talk more. Okay, thank you very much for that. Uh -huh, thank you. And that's the end of this plus podcast. To find out more about the British Mathematical Colloquium 2014, visit the PLUS website at plus.maths.org. My name is Marianne Freiberger. Thanks for listening and bye-bye.